We struggle to live into this new covenant that Jesus is inviting us into. I mean, can you really reduce 600 commands down to one? Doesn't that seem scandalous? Doesn't that seem like it's dangerous? Like what if someone takes something out of context? What if people don't know about their sin? We've got to tell them about their sin, don't we? We've got to make sure they know that they're not in line with God so that they will come back to God. Don't we? Well, Jesus said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love them, win them with love. So this is a dangerous message. And sometimes, even though the new covenant is ours, we keep getting sucked back into the old covenant. Hello and welcome to episode number 11 of the Life Church Canton podcast. I'm your host, Sam Parham. Thanks so much for listening. I apologize for the late release of this episode. I was out of town this weekend, and I'm just getting around to editing this this Tuesday morning, so thank you for bearing with me. In this episode, we're going to hear week number three in our series called The Story of God. Our discipleship pastor, John Grandy, will be bringing us a message on the covenants. Just in case you missed some of the earlier episodes, we're offering a great online resource as a part of this series that's called Right Now Media. Right Now Media is essentially the Netflix of Bible study videos, and they have some great uh, great content on their site that helps break down scripture, and John is actually going to be using a couple of those videos in this message that you're about to listen to. I've linked that resource in the show notes. Go check it out. Uh, it's really helpful. I encourage you to, to look at the videos that Pastor John used in his message. Uh, they help explain things in a really simple and understandable way. And here's Pastor John with the message. Hey guys, my name is John Grandy, and I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church. I'm so excited to be with you as we jump into week three of our series, The Story of God. And in this series, we're looking at how the entire Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. He is the central character. He is the one that all of this leads to, and he's the one that fulfills the entire story. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to be one of Jesus' disciples? Walking on the earth with him, seeing what he did, participating with him. You get to see blind eyes open for the first time, lame legs walk. After a hard day of ministry, of rescuing people and proclaiming the kingdom of God, you get to come and hang out around the fire with Jesus and laugh and hear all the stories from the day, all the highlights. And the best part, you get to hear straight from the heart of Jesus around the fire. Or what about Peter? I mean, the dude walked on water. How awesome would that have been to witness? You could vouch for him. You know, when everybody's doubting him, like, yeah, right, Peter, you didn't really do that. You're like, no, I saw it with my own eyes. How amazing would that be? You know, when I think about it, I get a little bit of FOMO, fear of missing out. I wish I could have been there. It would have been amazing. And if we each would admit, I think we all have a little bit of FOMO. Raise your hand if you experience FOMO from time to time. I did a Facebook poll this week to ask people, you know, when do you experience FOMO? And some of you commented, so thanks for that. This is what some of the responses were. When people post pictures of a gathering that I'm not at. You know, we feel you. Everybody's smiling. They're having a good time. They're snapping pics. You're like, why didn't I get an invite? I feel left out. When the Humane Society posts pictures of animals I can't adopt. How many of you animal lovers are out there? You're like, my whole house would be full of them if I could. Uh, Here's a personal pet peeve of mine, when people post travel pictures, all right, because you've got those people who post like two pictures all year, and then they go to Hawaii, and they take selfies every two seconds, 
you know, on the beach and you're like, I know there's beaches in Hawaii. I know the sun is there. Thanks for reminding us every two seconds, right? You're not that person, are you? You don't have to admit it. All right. But yeah, when we see travel pictures, we get FOMO. Then there's this one. When there's Dairy Queen ice cream cake involved. That was it. I'm like, okay, either, you know, you're not there and you're missing out on the cake or you're on a diet or you're lactose intolerant. Either way, it's no bueno, right? You just, you can't enjoy that luscious Dairy Queen ice cream cake. Somebody said pretty much any time I open up Facebook or Instagram. You know, we live in a society where we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. And their airbrushed, polished look makes us feel less than when we look at our messy behind the scenes lives. And it creates FOMO in us. Then it started getting a little bit deeper. People were really engaging with this. Somebody said, missing out on my kids firsts. You know, I don't know if that was, you know, they were at work and their kid walked for the first time or whatever it is, but you can never get those moments back, right? And you feel like you missed out on such a big milestone. Then someone sent this to me. They actually inboxed me because they were too anxious to write it on my homepage. They said, social anxiety. I want to be there, but always anxious about interacting with other people. Not even on Facebook. Interesting. And then my personal favorite, this person said, I get FOMO thinking about the rapture, right? Like Jesus takes all the people up to heaven and he's left behind fending for himself. Tough day, right? For that guy. I wonder if we should have a little bit more FOMO when it comes to the Bible. Did you know that only 10% of Americans, uh, 10% of Americans have never read the Bible, not even a single word. And only 13% have read a few sentences. Only 11% have read the entire Bible from cover to cover. How much are we missing out on when only 89 of us have read the whole, 89% of us have read the whole story? How much are we missing out on? How much do we not even know is there because we haven't engaged with the story of God? How much are we missing out on? There are over 3,000 promises in Scripture. Did you know that? How many of those are you taking hold of? And how many of those are you missing out on? Jesus himself said we will do even greater things than he did. You know the feeding of the 5,000 with a few loaves and a few fish? Yeah, he did that. And healing people and raising people from the dead? Maybe we don't do greater things than Jesus did because we don't even know what he did in the first place. And he's inviting us to step into that same kind of life. You know, Jesus also said that, he, that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. That's pretty incredible. Not just some truth, not just a little bit, not just how much you can handle, but all truth. I think we got some work to do. And as you hear this, I hope that this stirs up this desire in you to say, what am I missing out on? I want to dig into this story and find out so that I can find myself in it. And I can live in it. Because scripture is powerful. And there is so much more to the story of God than we realize. That's what I want you to to grab a hold of right in this moment. There is so much more to the story of God than we realize. It's not just an inspirational book that we base our faith on. It's the meta-narrative of life. The biggest, broadest, truest story ever told. It's the story that gives meaning and purpose to the chapters of our lives. Because without it, we have seemingly insignificant small stories. But when we see it in context of this great story, we see how we're a part of it. Our small stories can be a part of the greatest story ever told. What an incredible, 
invitation. Let's see how Paul describes the importance of Scripture. He wants to get this in our heads so that we live into it. Okay, 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17 This is how Paul describes it. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Teach, rebuke, correct, train. Those are painful words, right? I don't know about you, but I'm not sure if I want to sign up to get rebuked and corrected. (laughs) Not on the top of my list when I wake up in the day. But scripture has to disrupt us and challenge us before it can change us. All right, it has to mess things up in our lives so that we can be fully equipped for every good work. Because those things that are in the way, those selfish parts of us, the immature parts of us need to be matured and, and brought up so that we can be fully equipped and bring this life-changing message to the world. You see, Scripture is a catalyst of transformation in our lives. And Jesus is inviting us to dig into it. Notice that this passage begins with all Scripture. It doesn't say some Scripture. It doesn't say New Testament. It doesn't say your favorite verse. It says all. We can't cherry-pick. We've got to see how the entire story informs us. And as we look at this whole story, we begin to see themes that we can find throughout the whole story, like a thread that begins in the first book and weaves its way all the way through every story until you get to the very end. And I want to talk about one of those themes today with you. It's the theme of covenant. Scripture talks about this everywhere. Google search it, see how many times it shows up in Scripture. It's one of the major themes. And I could take a half hour explaining to you what covenant is, because it would take that long or longer, or I could show you this incredible video. Check this out. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many. And he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil. But despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, 
The earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods. They allow horrible injustice. And so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. That was a lot, wasn't it? (laughs) These guys just summarized the entire Old Testament in three minutes. I think that deserves a round of applause, right? That's not easy to do. So we need to unpack a few things from this video. The first thing is, what is covenant? It's very important that we define that. It's a partnership to achieve a common goal. A partnership to achieve a common goal. So God said, I have this rescue mission that I want to send to the whole earth, and I want to partner with the people that I've made. So he says, I'm going to bless you, people. If you will do what I command you to do, you will be a blessing to the nations. They commit to following God. God commits promises to bless them. The problem was they kept breaking those commitments. They kept messing up. They kept failing. The old covenant was lived out by rules, sacrifices, and regulations, obligations. Rules, sacrifices, and obligations. These things that these people had to do to stay committed to God. And there weren't just 10 of them. You know, we know the 10 commandments. In fact, why don't you turn to your neighbor and see if you can come up with five of the 10 commandments real quick. Go ahead and do that. Five of the 10 commandments. We'll put you on the spot. If you're watching online, go ahead and jot this down. Can you get five of them? We won't make you get all 10, but see if you can get at least five. All right, time's up. Did anybody get five? Raise your hand. Two of you, three of you. Guess what? They had a lot more than 10. They had 600 commands that they had to follow in the Old Covenant. Can you imagine that? We can't even remember 10, let alone 600, right? And so as you can imagine, the people kept breaking these commitments. They couldn't follow through on what God asked them to do. The Old Covenant wasn't working. It was incomplete. It was unfulfilled. It was broken by the sins of mankind. And so God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel when he said this in Ezekiel 16, 59 through 60. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will deal with you as you deserve because you have despised my oath by breaking the covenant. 
Yet I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth. And I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. God's people broke the old covenant, but God said, I'm going to raise up a new covenant, an everlasting covenant that can never be broken. And God was so awesome that he developed and established this covenant through his very own son, Jesus. I want to show you how this plays out in the story of God. Watch this. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the New Covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus, is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man. That Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. I love this. So Jesus fulfilled the old covenant the way that we couldn't. He was the perfect man who walked on this earth and fulfilled all of God's requirements, fulfilled over 300 prophecies about who this Messiah would be. And he invites us into a new covenant that he is forming. And we'll hear more and more about that as we go this morning. So no longer does our acceptance depend on our sacrifice, but on the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross. Because the new covenant is lived out in freedom, power, and new life. The new covenant is lived out in freedom, power, and new life. So we don't have to sacrifice something every time that we sin. We get to accept the sacrifice that was made for us once for all, for all people, because of what Jesus did on the cross. See, in the new covenant, the rules have been narrowed down. We're not expected to follow 600 commands now. Jesus, thank the Lord, has defined it all down to one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said all the law and all the prophets hinge on this one command. That's a lot easier to remember, isn't it, than 600? All down to one. So if we're loving God and we're loving our neighbors, we're well on our way to living in this new covenant relationship that God has invited us into. And it's full of freedom and new life. You see, in the new covenant, we get to, we don't have to. The old covenant was filled with rules and obligations. We have to do these things. We feel obligated to them. But in the new covenant, we get to. It's not an obligation, it's an honor. And what's been amazing is I've heard you lifers talk about this, I get to, a lot. I've heard it about five times in the last month. And so I love that because it's part of our DNA as a church, that it's our privilege to serve. We don't have to, it's our privilege. Earlier, Kate talked about LifeWorks, and the people who serve with LifeWorks get a call from a single mom who says, my bathtub isn't working and I need to give my kids a bath. I don't know what to do. And they are 
joyful to come and serve her. They get to go and fix her tub so that a lonely mom who's struggling to raise her kids doesn't feel alone anymore. And all of a sudden she has someone by her side. So we, when we participate in, in outreaches like that and in, in investing our passion in ways to serve people, we get to, we don't have to. And LifeWorks is such a great way of doing that. It's part of our DNA as believers in Christ. But even though the new covenant is ours, even though we know this is true, like some of this is not new to you, right? We struggle to live into it, don't we? We struggle to live into this new covenant that Jesus is inviting us into. I mean, can you really reduce 600 commands down to one? Doesn't that seem scandalous? Doesn't that seem like it's dangerous? Like what if someone takes something out of context? What if people don't know about their sin? We've got to tell them about their sin, don't we? We've got to make sure they know that they're not in line with God so that they will come back to God. Don't we? Well, Jesus said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love them, win them with love. So this is a dangerous message. And sometimes, even though the new covenant is ours, we keep getting sucked back into the old covenant. I'll show you how we do this in a minute, but I want to tell you why right now. Why do we keep going back? Because we're familiar with it. We're comfortable with what we're familiar with, so we keep going back to it. So we're familiar with this old covenant mindset. In fact, some of us have grown up in churches that are drenched with old covenant mindset. It's all about the rules. It's all about all the things that you have to do to be in line for God to accept you. And if you don't, then you're out. You're kicked out, literally. Or you're not invited into this community or into this small group or into this whatever. It's this old covenant mindset and we're familiar with it. We also go back to it because it's safe. If I'm following the rules, I'm safe. I'm either in or I'm out. And if I'm in, then I'm safe. And I can just stay here and know that I'm accepted by God. But the truth is, the new covenant is not about all the rules. It's about a relationship with God. It's a lot easier to walk in black and white than it is to walk with God. That gets kind of messy. We have to use discernment. We have to look at how Jesus lived. Jesus got into all kinds of messes, didn't he, with the religious people? Because he was introducing a new way of life, a new covenant, a new way of loving people and inviting them to God. You see, here's our conundrum. We know that we're not supposed to live in the old covenant, but we really struggle to actually live in the new covenant. You see, we settle for this weird conglomeration called the blended covenant. It's like we take bits of the old and pieces of the new, we put them together, and we mix it all up. Like putting blue cheese and watermelon in a blender and chugging it down. Doesn't that sound amazing? (laughs) Some of you are gagging out there. I, I gagged as I said that. You know, they were never meant to be mixed. The new covenant was meant to fulfill the old, not get mixed up in it. But when we blend the covenants, that's exactly what we do. And we get everything jacked up. You see, I remember things with with visuals. So I'm going to embarrass myself for you today. I think that each of these covenants is displayed through lenses that we see the world through. In this first lens, we'll call the aviators, the aviator lenses. And we look at the world and through our faith with this lens of the old covenant. I can't even... You guys want this, don't you? I'll give it away to the highest bidder after service, right? No. You know, it's hard to even see through this, which is very appropriate because the old covenant is thick. 
It's heavy. It's dark. You can't see through it. There's a lot of rules in the way and regulations that you feel like you can't live up to. And you're trying to feel your way through life and through this walk with God. When we look at the world through the old covenant goggles, we say an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. People get what they have coming to them. There's this justice. There's this revenge. There's this, you deserve it. With the old covenant lens. You see, with the old covenant, God's presence is in a tabernacle far off. He's separate from us. He is not involved in our daily lives. We have to measure up to being good enough to be in his presence. In the old covenant, you pay for sin with sacrifice. If you do something wrong, you need to kill an animal and sacrifice its blood to cover your sins. Can you imagine that? Every time you sin, having to sacrifice to pay for your sins. Sounds like a lot of work. And it was. In the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit only fills certain people, prophets that are meant to give the word of God. He only fills them and the rest of us feel kind of left out. Like, what about me? I want the Holy Spirit, but we don't really have access to him. See, in the Old Covenant, I feel like a slave to God's rules. Tried hard to memorize all of them, but I just can't measure up. And Jesus knew that that was heavy and that was incomplete and that we kept failing. So he introduced to us a new covenant. And this covenant he paid for in his blood. And he said, I'm going to fulfill this everlasting covenant that cannot be broken by the sins of mankind. And I want to invite you into a new way of life. So we'll call these the millennial lenses. All right. And this represents the new covenant that Jesus invites us into. I can see you all a lot more clearly now. And isn't that the truth? There's freedom. There's new life. There's, we come up for a big breath of air with the New Testament, New Covenant. See, with the New Covenant, you are not charged to go find God in this tabernacle far off. Like, you've got to climb your way up to him. No, you are the tabernacle of God. God's presence resides inside of you. Your heart is now the tabernacle. How awesome is that? You don't have to go search for God. God has come to search for you, and he has made his home. Inside of you. That's the new covenant. You see, in the new covenant, your sin was paid for once and for all by the sacrifice of Jesus. You no longer have to try to earn God's approval or pay for your sin. Let that free you today. It doesn't give you a license for sin. It creates a desire in you to say, I don't want to sin. I want to live above it. I want to rise above. I want to mature to the point because Jesus has paid for this. And I want to make his sacrifice worth it in my life. You see, no longer is the Holy Spirit reserved for just a few select people. No. The Holy Spirit fills everyone who comes to Jesus. Man, woman, boy, girl, old, young. He is there for everyone once for all at all times. The Holy Spirit is there to fill us the moment that we receive Jesus as our Savior. And we get to participate in life led and directed by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. In the new covenant, we get to partner with God. We're no longer slaves trying to find all these rules that we need to live up to. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are a part of his family. We get to do what he does and carry on the mission that he started when Jesus came to this earth. In the new covenant, we invite people into the life-changing power of Jesus. It's about relationship that transforms us. That's not dependent on following rules to try to measure up. You see, the new covenant cannot be broken by the sins of mankind because it was established eternally by the blood of Jesus. 
And he lives his life to invite us into that kind of covenant. My iPad just died, so bear with me for a second. (laughs) Got to get to our place here. Sorry about that. Thank you. (laughs) All right, so we know that this is the new covenant that Jesus invites us into. But like I said, we keep getting sucked back into the old covenant. We keep falling short of what we're called to do. And, and then sometimes we think it's too scandalous, this new covenant, right? Like, what if people get it wrong? What if they misjudge my motives? What if they don't know that they're sinning and I need to point it out to them? So we think we know better than Jesus and we put on the John Lennon lenses of the blended covenant, okay? We blend them. We, think, we take bits of the old and pieces of the new. We put them together and we try to live out of this conglomeration of old and new. We miss out on the freedom that Jesus has for us. In fact, sometimes we forget that the new covenant is even there because we revert back to the old one. You see, in the, new, in the blended covenant, I have to earn God's approval. It's not mine. I have to earn it based on my performance, based on following all the rules. In the blended covenant, I pursue God on Sundays, but not during the week. There's a part of my life, parts of my life that are spiritual and other parts that are worldly. And there's this separation In my life. It's not all aligned. You know in the blended covenant. I have to try hard not to sin. I have to avoid it at all costs. But I keep getting tripped up into it. Because I'm trying to live out of my own power. And I'm not relying on the power of Jesus. That overcomes my sin. Relying on my own perfection. In the blended covenant. We forget that the Holy Spirit exists. In our everyday lives. We believe that he's part of the Trinity. But we don't see how he shows up in our lives. To guide us. To counsel us. To walk with us because we forget that we have access to the power of God through the Holy Spirit. In the blended covenant, we tell people they will be judged by God. We hold up picketing signs. We want to make sure that they know all the ways that they're falling short. We want to make sure they know they're judged and condemned so that they turn to God. Is that how it works? Does anyone turn to God when we put rules before relationship? And we mess everything up because we forget the order of how this works. How can someone live like Jesus when they don't even know him yet? We have to invite them into that relationship and then they get to see how life is lived through the lens of the new covenant that Jesus is inviting them into. When we live with the blended covenant, we cut ties with our pregnant daughters and our gay sons. You see, the relationship gets too complicated and messy. We don't know how to walk with them, so we just cut them out of our lives. And we begin to live a life that's so much different than the way Jesus approached people as he interacted with them. It didn't matter what their background was. He loved them the same. He pursued them. He invited them into a relationship with God that would transform them. And he didn't count on laying down a heavy set of rules to make sure that they turned. You see, in the blended covenant, we judge non-Christians for not living like Christians. Once again, how can we expect them to live like us when they don't know the truth that we know? In the blended covenant, we have a title of a Christian, but we don't live the life. We don't live the life. I have a very personal story about this for you. A few years ago, a really close friend asked me to officiate her wedding. But the problem was she was living with someone and they were pregnant. And she knew the truth. She knew the way that God had called her to live. And she had chosen to live this way. 
And when she asked me, honestly, I was angry. I was like, heck no, I'm not doing that. That's what I'm thinking inside of me. And I'm just quiet, listening. And I said, I'll get back to you. It took me four months to get back to her. Because God had some wrestling to do within me. He had to correct, rebuke, train me in this moment. And he said, John, are you going to stand on the outside and point a finger at them and judge them? Or are you going to get in the middle of this marriage and redeem it from the inside out? Drop the mic, right? (laughs) God, mic drop. Um, And he challenged me. He said, how are you going to approach the situation? And he said, I want you to ask them if they are open to me leading their marriage. And if they are, I want you to marry them. I want you to officiate their wedding. And I'll tell you what, he wrecked me so much through that. And I went to them and they invited me to do premarital counseling with them. And I asked them, are you open and willing for God to lead your marriage? And they both wholeheartedly said yes. And so it was my joy to officiate their wedding. But just four months earlier, I would have said a hard no. How often do we cut off relationships? How often do we miss our influence in people's lives because we put rules before relationship? Because we want to slam down the truth of God before they even know it. And I hope you see that God has some work to do in us as we talk about these things. Which covenant do you live out of? Which one shows up most in your life on a day-to-day basis? Because we have some work to do to see if we are living up to what God has invited us into. You see, when we live in the blended covenant, we miss out on what's rightfully ours. We miss out on what's rightfully ours. It's like you have $1 million sitting in your savings account and you're too afraid to use it because you don't want to abuse it. You don't want to spend it all in one place. And so you just leave it there out of fear. You don't want to tap into it. But it's yours. It's your inheritance. You can use it at any moment to bless this world, to give back, to invest in other people's lives, but you won't use it because you're afraid you're going to abuse it. That's what happens when we live in the blended covenant. So how do we live in this new covenant? How do we take a hold of what's rightfully ours? Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. There's some words in here that we need to unpack. The first is confidence. You see, our confidence does not come from ourselves because we know that we're broken. Our confidence comes from a perfect Savior who has paid for our sacrifice for us, empowered us to live like Him, and has made us sufficient. It says sufficient three times in this scripture. Let me ask you a question. How often do you feel sufficient? Enough? Like you have what it takes? Not very often, right? Who are we depending on when we feel that way? Us or God? Because when we depend on God, we know that we are sufficient. We are enough in Christ. He has called us enough. And we get to live into that power to bring that transforming power to the rest of the world instead of getting tripped up on our own hang-ups. We get to bring this message of new life to the world. You see, the scripture says that we are ministers of a new covenant. A new covenant of rescue, of new life that we get to bring to other people and show them this kind of life that everyone is invited into. 
a local pastor was invited to visit a man in prison. And this guy was a tank. He was a big guy. He's probably 6'4". He gets a little taller every time I tell the story. You know how that goes. And uh, he's just jacked. And this pastor's kind of shaking in his boots as he walks in and sees this guy. He's praying as he goes in. God, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? I have no idea what you want me to do here. And he's terrified. And he sits down across from this guy. And the guy's like, what are you doing here? I don't want to talk to you. And the, and the pastor continues to pray and says, God, help me. I need you. And God says, I want you to tell him that I love him. And I want you to give him a hug. And he's like, you want me to what? Are you kidding me? Do you know that physical touch is not a good thing in prison, right? Like, you shouldn't be doing that stuff. You're going to get killed. And he's, he's arguing with God. And God's like, nope, that's what you need to do. And so the conversation goes on and they wrap up. And all of a sudden the nerves hit, kick in because the pastor knows what he's got to do. And he gets up from his chair, he walks around the table, and he gives this guy a big bear hug and whispers in his ear, I love you. And the guy rips him off and says, what are you doing? You're crazy. And the guy says, hold on. I want you to know that that wasn't for me. That was from God. God wants you to know how much he loves you. And the man runs out of the room. And the pastor's like, well, that didn't work out so great, you know. And he, the man runs to his cell. And what the pastor found out later, as soon as he got to his cell, he fell face down on his face and and repented before God, weeping. Because this was the first time in his life that he had ever experienced unconditional love. That's the power of the new covenant. You see, in the old covenant, we wouldn't even step foot in a prison, would we? I mean, there's murderers, there's rule breakers in there. We can't mix with them. We can't be anywhere near them. So we're not even going to go there. That's off limits. In the blended covenant, we would stand outside of that prison with picketing signs and make sure they knew that they were condemned. Make sure that they knew that God hated them for what they had done in their life and rub it in to make sure that they know they're as far from God as possible. But friends, when we live in the new covenant, We get to bring God's rescue mission to the very heart of that prison and transform it from the inside out. Do you feel the power of the new covenant? Do you want to live into that kind of life? Because that's what Jesus is inviting us to do. It is rightfully ours. He wants to invite us into a rescue mission that is going to go and save the world from their sins, literally, because they're dying and trapped with no hope of getting out. And we get to carry this greatest message ever told to them as we live in the new covenant. Would you stand with me? Some of you are hearing this and you are very aware of the broken places in your life. And you feel like you can't break free. You feel like you don't know how to get to where you want to go. I want to tell you today what you want, what you're searching for is the new covenant that Jesus won on the cross for you. But you have to accept that covenant in order to live in it. And so if you'd like to do that right now, if you'd like to to accept the invitation that Jesus is offering you, would you pray with me? But God, we realize that our sins break us, that we are far from you. And we're tired of living this old way, not measuring up, trying to be perfect and always failing. And so, Jesus, we accept your invitation to be a part of the new covenant. We accept what you've done for us on the cross. We say yes to you, God, and we want you to lead our lives from this day forward. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, you can go to lifechurchcanton.org or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcan.org. You can subscribe to this show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with a friend and leave us a review. Please make sure to tune in next week. We're going to have a special guest speaker as a part of this series. You won't want to miss it. This will be week number four of our Story of God series. Um, Again, thank you for listening. I'm your host, Sam Parham. Have a great week, everybody.